from budgeting to investing and all things money hack. Listen as we learn and unpack the different ways to be financially wiser through the guidance of a financial advisor. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this conversation. Hi, everyone. Happy Aloha Friday. Welcome back to the Wahini Co. panel podcast. I am so happy here to introduce Carrie Kayanan from Comprehensive Financial Strategies. She's actually being mentored by Pamela Ma, who has been advising me for a while now. She's seen me grow from when I was in my 30s, <laughs> and now I'm almost my 50s. But uh, we hope uh, with Carrie's help, you know, we will be learning some financial strategies for younger people and also the uh, older ones, uh, older Wahine. So Carrie, please introduce yourself and welcome to Wahine Co. Thank you so much for having me. Yep, as Ari said, my name is Carrie Kayanin and I do work at Comprehensive Financial Strategies. I am being mentored by Pam and I do a little bit of my own I do some, I am licensed to sell life insurance as well as long-term care and health insurance. And I also do property casualty, meaning homeowners, auto insurance, flood and hurricane. I also do some budgeting and planning and debt. I help people get out of debt as well. Oh, <laughs> that, that part, oh, that just rings so much bells in my head <laughs> as a recent <laughs> college graduate. Um, thank you so much for joining our podcast today, Carrie. And before we get started, you know, us at Wahini Call, we just love to introduce ourselves to you. And, but before you, you share that, we also want to update, you know, Valentine's is coming up. What are your Valentine's plans? Are you going to stay home and watch Have a Movie Night? Or are you going to go out and have dinner? So those are our two icebreakers. One, introduce yourself, your role. Two, your Valentine's Day plan. And three, what is the most significant thing you've ever bought? So you can take a moment to just think about that and can come back. <laughs> well, I'll start. Hi, I'm Aries. I am drinking water today on this Pahana Friday, a couple of days before Valentine's. What my plan is... Um, whatever that we can come up with on Sunday. Uh, nothing big for Valentine's. We just hope to enjoy each other's company and spend it with quality time with my husband, Robert. And as far as the biggest thing that I've purchased recently, of course, is my new DX9 Mazda. Um, and Pamela knows it too. So she's like, what? Did you just buy a car? Um, yes. So I accumulated debt. And also I got my master's degree about the same price, I think, between my car and my master's, uh, my master's degree. And I pay, I am paying it on my own. I didn't get scholarships. So it's quite, it is quite a payment plan. Thank you. Thank you, auntie. How about you, Lena? What are, what are your um, Valentine's Day plans? My name is Lena. I do like editing <laughs> for Wahineko and content creating. Um, I, for Valentine's, my boyfriend works. He works like the opposite schedule of me. 
so we're not doing anything. But I'm I bought him a little like keychain with um, our pet's face embossed on it. I don't know how he'll like that, but um, I'll steal it from him if he doesn't like it. And the most significant thing I've bought is recently was a surfboard. Actually, it was my first. A new surfboard, and then I broke it a year later. So that's sad, but it's okay. <laughs> awesome! Yeah. Speaking of surfboard, Liza, how is your surfing going, and what's your plan for Valentine's Day? Um, surfing's been going good. Um, actually, in my apartment, the elevator stops working, so now I have a hard time lugging this wave storm around. So I haven't been surfing as much. But my name is Liza. I help out with the content as far as creating graphics and speaking of the website that is about to like fully launch. Um, I created and designed the website for that. I am drinking boba, so I got like milk tea, seventy-five percent sweetness. I got this last <laughs> night, but I didn't finish it yet, so I'm drinking it right now. Um, perfect timing because it's Friday afternoon. Um, my Valentine's plans. I'm just hanging out with my boyfriend, um, and a friend of mine is making us chocolate-covered strawberries. So we're gonna like enjoy that. Probably have like a picnic or something, um, and watch the sunset. But one thing, or like one big purchase um, that I remembered was like a few years ago. It was my first time going to.、Um, A camp, and it was in California, so I had to buy the plane ticket. So that's probably one of the first big purchases I've made. Yeah, it's nice meeting you, Carrie. Yeah, nice to meet you too. Thanks, Liza. How about you, Lesejo? Hey, Carrie. I'm Lesejo,、um, and I'm the podcast director for our podcast.、Um, Sophie has been doing an amazing job, by the way, doing that for me right now. Because um, my biggest purchase is like, <laughs> just like is my education, my masters. I'm currently doing my masters at UH. And then, fun fact: I actually don't celebrate Valentine's Day.、Uh, I'm originally from South Africa, so it is.、Oh. Apparently, but it's never been a thing for me. So Michael and I are hanging out with singles、um, from our church on Sunday. So I'm excited for that. We're gonna play games. We're gonna. <laughs> I'm excited to have game night、uh, with all our single friends.、Um, yeah, and I'm having water. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Hang out with your single friends and like lift them up. <laughs> That's so nice, Lasejo. Can I be single with Robert so we can just play games? <laughs> no cheating. <laughs> oh, awesome. How about you, Tati? What are your plans this week? Hi, I'm Tati, in charge of social media engagement. And let's see. Sunday we don't have any real plans, but. We had a lot of fun last weekend for Super Bowl, like planning around something to watch. So maybe we'll like plan a movie time and like cook around that. I'm hoping that Matt cooks, but we'll see.、Um, <laughs> uh, my first big purchase. Okay, I feel really bad that I don't know the answer to this explicitly, but I would say one of my biggest purchases was probably paying rent in New York 
uh, that was a really big wake up call at 21 and half of my paycheck was gone or one full paycheck was gone, I should say. So that was probably, probably one of the biggest and still is one of the biggest uh, purchases. Um, other than I think traveling to Europe was a big one, but that seemed totally worth it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And how about you, Chloe? Go Hi, ahead. Carrie. Uh, my name is Chloe. I'm, for everyone, I'm drinking an iced chai latte. Um, my, my husband and I don't really have plans for Valentine's. Um, I think we might have dinner. Nothing like super crazy. Even when we're dating, kind of similar. Let's say. Not that we don't celebrate. We're just like never a huge I don't know, thing. And my biggest purchase was definitely our wedding. Because it was like, <laughs> we like made sure our emergency fund as a couple was fully funded, which is bigger just because we're a couple now. And then like paying for the wedding. And then simultaneously like, well, this is last year, but we had planned our honeymoon to Europe. So we had to pay for that also. Um, but then COVID happened and we didn't go. So Oh, yeah, no. but that was just like the biggest purchase of 2020. Wow, that's awesome though. Thank you. And I guess I'll go before Carrie goes last. Um, my name is Sophia. I'm doing our podcast. So right now I'm in an LDR and my boyfriend is in Japan. So we're gonna open our gifts to each other on Valentine's Day and just like have an online toast. I've been learning about investment recently and I've started like investing my money for retirement so that's kind of where it went and I'm hoping that's where I start to put it you know instead of like buying out for food well I think for LDR people out there Valentine's could be like a big thing because the the distance grew fond right with distance you you expect big flowers man big flowers for Valentine's no but yeah, it's fun. How about you, Carrie? Um, what are your Valentine's Day plans? Um, my husband and I are not really going to do anything big. We're going to have dinner with the family. Uh, we're not super huge on Valentine's either. We kind of feel like it should be showed, obviously, throughout the year. <laughs> um, biggest first purchase, you said, or significant, uh, I would say probably our first home. That was the biggest first purchase. And we bought another home. That was another purchase, but <laughs> both pretty large. That's awesome. Oh, we have a lot of questions about that and how to get started. I have a random question. This is a little bit more granular and day-to-day, but do you have like a favorite money hack or something you do, Carrie, that you just wish like, oh, if everyone knew this, we would be in a better place. Just something small. I feel like the little, the little tips go a long way. Yep, absolutely. Uh, well, <laughs> the best thing I try to do is lead by example. So try to not spend more than you make, first and foremost. Like that is one big reason why a lot of people are in debt is because they splurge a little bit more than they should. And it's great to splurge, you know, it feels good, but it also, you know, emotional spending can get you into trouble. So try to always spend within your means and that will help and go a long way. That will keep you out of debt if you spend within your means. That will help you to save more. It'll 
That makes sense. And that goes along with budgeting too, right? Sure. So creating a budget is actually more so linked to your personality because it depends on, say, for example, traditional budgeting, you should be really keen on paying attention to all the little details because what you have to do is lay out all of your expenses, any kind of income, and you kind of have to go through every single one of them. And if your expenses exceed what your income is bringing in, obviously you need to start cutting back on certain things in certain areas. That's kind of traditional budgeting. And like I said, it can be very daunting because people have expenses all over the place, right? You have insurances, rent, mortgage, you have all kinds of Sometimes it's like doctor's appointments, you have, you know, entertainment expenses, utilities, they're coming from all over the place. So that is a pretty daunting task. Um, a different kind of budgeting you can do for people who are a little bit tighter with their budget and who um, their personality would prefer to see physically is they call it the envelope strategy is basically you either cash your check and you divvy up different envelopes for different categories. So for example, for the month, you have a certain amount in this envelope for rent, and then you have a certain amount in the next envelope for utilities, a certain amount for food, for gas, and you kind of go along and you put that amount that's within the budget within your paycheck in each different envelope. So that once that envelope is depleted, obviously if you deplete your entertainment envelope, you don't have any more in that envelope to spend on entertainment. Um, another strategy, depending on your personality, could be, we call it paying yourself first, almost. So that meaning people who have a little bit more wiggle room in their financial income, you pay yourself first, meaning put it kind of on autopilot. So add and contribute to a retirement or whether it be an emergency fund, something like that first. And then say you wanted to do 10% of your income to retirement you take out 10% and then the 90% left over, you kind of divvy up between your fixed expenses first. Fixed expenses, obviously like mortgage or rent, utilities, gas, food, and then things that are more um, flexible, obviously things like entertainment and fun, recreational budget in there as well. But with paying yourself first, you kind of ensure that you're saving up enough. And if it's out of sight, out of mind kind of, thinking that when you don't see it and it automatically gets put away to your retirement, whatever's left over, that's what you work with. So it depends on your personality, how detail-oriented you are, or whether you like to see physically that your money's still there or not. Yes, definitely. I've heard about the envelope budgeting <laughs> tactic, and I, I think it's a really amazing way to, to personally just see like how much money you're you're spending because sometimes having a debit card or like a credit card it's so easy to just swipe you know whereas like if you have cash oh crap I'm running out of bills yeah. once you're out of cash you're pretty much out of that for, so you can't spend anymore well I I have um probably I'm the oldest out of this group so like mentioned I'm reaching 50 and this is I would say it's it's a career move for me, but it's not a financially career move, if you know what I mean. So really, I'm maybe right now, um, my question is, I guess we are 
living on one income from Robert's business and, uh, you know, very limited income coming from me. So um, with that said, he's helping out with a lot of the expenses, monthly expenses. Um, and my income or salary that I withdraw from our nonprofit, it's very small, but um, I would say most of it is paid to, let's say, my two big purchases you heard earlier. <laughs> so what is the best strategy for me? I, I guess it's kind of relatable to the budgeting, right? Um, should I put more into Roth IRA because I am 50 um, monthly, like just think about retirement and increase right now. My 401k is um, not, I'm not like what I, what I used to do with Yum Brand, I put away my, four, my money monthly to 401k, but right now I'm not. So what retirement plan should I be thinking with whatever small amount of money I have now coming from my uh, monthly salary? I think it's a great idea and that's great that you had both. So the 401k is great and especially maxing that out when either your company matches or when you're adding to try and decrease the amount of taxable income you have for the year. Things like a 401k or traditional IRA are great. Things for Roth IRA are to me even better if you can contribute to it. And it sounds like you can because your income is a lot lower. And so now that you're 50, you do have the catch up that you can add an additional $1,000 to your Roth. Instead of before it was 6,000, now you can do 7,000. A Roth is a really good tax-free income later on when you retire. So you put in after-tax dollars and fund the Roth that way and get it grows tax-free and you get to take it out tax-free later once you reach 59 and a half. Wow, that's not too far from now. Okay, thank you, Carrie. That's helpful. And so, did you say what is the minimum now after I'm 50 is 7,000? Yep, so you can contribute once you turn 50. You can contribute now 7,000 instead of 6,000. Prior to age 50, you can only contribute up to 6,000 in a Roth, depending on your income, if you don't pass, surpass a certain threshold. Thank you. So if I were to choose one or the other, which one should I choose one for one K or just go into the Roth IRA? Well, right now it sounds like you might want to try funding your Roth first, because if you were contributing before to your traditional, your 401k, it's growing um, tax deferred. But right now, since you are in a, like in a lower tax bracket, you might not need to lower your taxable income amount. So if you contribute to your Roth, that would be great to have tax-free money later. Oh, thank you. Okay, well, it's looking brighter. You know, my 50, reaching 50 is looking brighter. <laughs> we did tell Pam that we want to retire in Italy, which is cheaper <laughs> than Hawaii. So that's my other retirement plan, but we'll definitely catch up with you guys soon. Thank you. Interesting. So you would want you would benefit more from a Roth if you're in the lower tax bracket because of the tax-free aspect of it. Or necessarily, it depends on what your financial advisor is kind of going to build for you. 
it depends on your situation as a whole, but just listening to her now that she is in a lower tax bracket, it doesn't sound like she needs to save um, by adding to her 401k. I would personally prefer tax-free money later in retirement than taxable money. If you, if you pay your taxes right now, it usually tends to be cheaper than paying your taxes later. But that also depends on your retirement tax bracket. Like if you retire in a higher tax bracket or if you retire and your tax bracket drops. Wow. Okay. Can you say if it's cash is king now during pandemic or not? Should we still go put in retirement or should we keep, keep the cash because of the pandemic? So that depends, I would say, on your emergency fund and your income sources. For example, if you already have enough substantial income coming in to pay for your basic fixed expenses, um, that would be great, if, especially if you're unemployed. But if you don't, then maybe, yes, keeping some cash emergency savings when you are unemployed would be a little bit higher of a priority because you don't know when your next paycheck is going to come or you're not sure if you're going to get that job again or when, depending on the field that you're in. Right. So basically the bottom line is make sure you have your emergency fund secured before. I would say, yes, always. We recommend always having an emergency fund before you start investing for long term, because with any kind of long term, it's usually retirement and usually retirement in order to avoid the penalties, you need to keep things at least until you're 59 and a half in things like traditional IRAs or 401k things. Um, Roth as well, you need to keep it in until you're at least 59 and a half before you can take out and it needs to be open for at least a five year period. And with like the penalty, it's 10% if you withdraw before you're 59 and a half. So say for example, your car breaks down and you have enough in your retirement, but you don't have any liquid cash savings like an emergency, the first place you're going to run to is your retirement because that's the only option, but you're going to get taxed and penalized. So on top of the taxes that you're going to pay for pulling it out, you're going to be penalized if you're not. Got it. Got it. Oh, that is crazy. Um, Yeah. Speaking of that emergency fund, like you're saying, what, how much emergency fund do you suggest people have? especially during this pandemic? So in general, this is kind of broad. People say usually about three to six months of your expenses. But this also does depend on your situation, um, job security, meaning if you're the only breadwinner in the house and you're the only one bringing in income, you might want a little bit more cushion if you lose your job in that emergency fund. Because Emergency funds are just for that, things like emergencies or if you lose your job and you need something, like something happens, the refrigerator breaks, the car breaks, you still need cash. You don't want to go into debt and swipe the credit card, maybe maxing it out, or you don't want to have to take out a loan. You want to be able to have the cash on hand because, say, for example, you do lose your job. For example, in this pandemic, a lot of people have been laid off. If you have that emergency savings and fund, if your car breaks down or if your refrigerator breaks, that would be awesome to know that you have that money to go and fix this immediate cash need. 
instead of trying to take out a loan and waiting for that and then going into debt when you don't have any income to pay off that loan. So it is good to have at least three to six months, but especially with um, job security too, if you have a job that you might not be able to find another job within six months, you might want to give yourself a little bit more cushion, especially if you are like the main source of income in your household. So it depends on a couple other things like that as well. So Carrie, just to follow up on the emergency fund, is it like an ongoing thing since there's always, not always emergencies, but emergencies come and go. So is it a continuous thing where you should be putting if, um, is that six months fixed or do you just continually put something in there just to be on the safe side? So that kind of, um, I should say, if you take out, say, a few grand from your emergency fund, you do want to try and replenish it. Because if you keep on having small little emergencies, sometimes a domino effect happens, unfortunately, right? If something breaks down in your car, you get a fix, something else breaks. It's just sometimes life happens, right? So you do want to try to replenish it when you can, when you start getting income again. But obviously, if Say, for example, you are unemployed and you have enough of that emergency fund to last you at least a few months. Then once you do get that job, it was depleting for three months. Try to replenish the three months worth. So it doesn't have to be continuously ongoing if you already have uh, the, ne the necessary amount that you feel comfortable with in the emergency fund, which should be at least three to six months worth. And that should also, you should take into account not just your fixed expenses, but things like, you know, going out to eat, having a little fun, because people sometimes they have this lifestyle and if they completely cut it off, they're gonna, sometimes it, you know, it just puts them either in a depression or you just get more stressed out. You can't do anything for stress relief, you know? So at least put something for some entertainment and recreation a little bit would be nice. Thank you. That's, yeah, thank you. I think we have a lot of young listeners, perhaps also our Wahiniko panelists, our young listeners. So a lot of them probably preparing for, you know, their 30s or, um, or late 30s, I mean, mid 30s. Anything to um, how they can be confident as far as if you're just finishing up college or just finishing up college or just getting into a new job so that they can have like a, a really nice time to build a family, if you will, like without being in debt. I think you mentioned that you're really good. That's one of your experts to get people out of debt, but then they're going to buy a house and get into debt, right? So, so what's taken to that? I'm sorry. So sorry. What was the question? So as we are preparing some of our Wahini listeners in their 20s or early 30s, perhaps they're thinking of starting a family, right? And so probably buying a home. So what's your insight or advice if, if they're just thinking about, you know, starting a family and buying a home in their 20s? Obviously, some of them already have partners. So is there any advice for, for you from you as far as not being into you know getting into debt or 
get a good credit now, work on your credit, you know, et cetera, to prepare for their family uh, and buying a home or having a family. So when you are wanting to start that looking for a home buying process, you do want to have um, you do want to have good credit or at least try to build that. Um, good credit is great for helping you get loans, uh, lines of credits, credit cards, things like that. And that is pretty important. Um, starting the family, I definitely think people should be thinking, uh, should be more proactive thinking where, yes, you want to make sure you have um, some income coming in, which when you do try to apply for a mortgage, they have to make sure they see, you know, your pay stubs. They usually like to see if you've been working for at least two years with the same company to know that you have the job stability. Um, preparing for children, yep, you want to have a pretty good um, emergency fund starting to add for them as well if you're anticipating kids. So things like you don't expect maybe the hospital bill does, on average, it costs about 2,500 to three grand for labor and delivery. Uh, things, small things, obviously, start saving up for the kids, uh, diapers, either formula, bottles, the little things, if you're starting to plan for a family. Uh, things later, if you already have a family, uh, are things like 529 plans or UGMAs and UTMAs, which are the college savings plans for the children. You could start talking to your advisor about that as well, if you are interested in helping to pay for your kids' college. Um, I'm sorry, I don't remember everything you said, but is that kind of along the track that you're thinking of? Yes, I think we have some listeners that are, you know, starting a life together. They just got probably recently married or college students or students to just recently grad or graduating soon uh, or just recent graduates, uh, perhaps thinking about getting married uh, and starting a family soon. And I I really believe in uh, pre prevention and preparing before you get into debt. What is it going to cost to, you know, get married, right? How much does wedding cost? And I know Chloe's in wedding industry, so she knows how much a wedding costs. But uh, I heard a lot before people in Hawaii, they got into loans and debts just to get married. And I think the pandemic has really changed that around. It's not good for the wedding business, but it's good for the new couple that's just starting. <laughs> so things like that, I, I, I think, I believe it's something that, you know, our parents used to pay for everything, right? Like they used to pay for our first, more, first house, first car. But now I think a lot of kids, maybe the parents wants them to pay for their wedding, their own wedding, their own car, their own college costs, et cetera. So, um, and we should be thinking that way um, as far as, so more good to be prepared, I guess. So you answered my questions or hopefully some of our listeners' questions. Well, to follow up on that, you are absolutely right. I think it's a great idea as well to be more proactive. If you're planning on getting married, I don't suggest you necessarily take out this huge loan and start your life in debt because what comes after marriage is usually, yes, you either want to, buy your own house, start a family, children, all of these things cost money as well. And the more you go into these purchases, the more debt you're going to create. So being proactive, um, you want to probably save as much as you can and not take out a loan as much as possible for the wedding. I would say if 
you know, try to work within a budget like I did. I created an Excel spreadsheet when my husband and I got married. I, um, for things you want to splurge on, give yourself a little bit more, but for things that you can try and cut back on, one of the biggest things that people do regret is spending a huge chunk of money on their wedding um, because it's a one-day party kind of thing. And so for one day, do you really want to be in debt for five years or 10 years, whatever, if you take out a fixed loan or if you put it on multiple credit cards and then you rack up that kind of debt? So try to save up and try to work within a budget. Try to be reasonable with your income level as well as the debt that you already carry. So if you're already carrying some student loan, work with, um, well, you can work on your own if you're good with details and you know spreadsheets and you are good with budgeting or try to work with someone who does have a little bit more expertise and can lay out say, hey, this is what you have for your budget for all of your loans and your fixed um, expenses right now and here's what you can be more flexible with with the party and the wedding yeah speaking of that um you mentioned how one of the biggest mistake people make is you know taking out lots of loans for their marriage um, as a financial advisor what are the top five financial mistakes that you often hear people coming to you over and over again i wouldn't say there's necessarily any just top five but there are several that do tend to come up one of them yes being a wedding um, people feel like they regret spending so much on their wedding Another one, people regret not having enough of an emergency fund because they've, I've had, um, personally, I've had a friend who he had an emergency, he wasn't able to afford it, he had to run to his retirement and he had to pay penalties and taxes. Um, so not having enough of an emergency fund, another one, not having any kind of plan or budget, people regret not setting up anything. So sometimes uh, they don't do it or they put it off just because, again, like it's a very daunting task trying to lay out all of your expenses and trying to pinpoint how much you spend on everything. That's It takes a while. It does. And so if something looks too stressful, some people just keep on putting it off, putting it off. They don't want to plan for it. So try to make the time for it because it will definitely count in the long run and it will help. Uh, another thing that people come, they don't save enough or they don't save for retirement. So time is on your side for all of you folks. Like when you're young, you want to start those retirements. You want to start things like Roth IRAs. Um, when I was in college, on the very first day that I had finance class, my professor said, all of you kids who don't have a Roth and have a job, start one today. And I thought that was great advice. I didn't realize it until later how much it would mean, but the compounding interest effect is amazing. And so when you have more time on your side, you have more time for your money to grow, which is great. Um, some other mistakes people feel like they make are late payments. So try to put reminders in your calendar, in your phone, uh, put little sticky post-it notes wherever you frequent, like your refrigerator, if you have something big that's due. Because late payments, interest penalties, they, 
they add up really quickly. And for something that you didn't need to pay, it adds to more debt and kind of compounding effect on that as well. So try to keep up with the payments, especially auto payments. I love that, like when you have things auto drafted, don't have to think about it. So it's always on time. Um, I think those were some of the biggest ones that clients would always kind of mention. I have a question. Sure. Um, so with Roth, I was, uh, so I had started one a couple years ago and I was investing and it was going well. And then at some point I asked my investment manager, like financial advisor, I was like, um, I forget how I worded it, but basically like how much are you being paid? Like how much of the percentage are you taking? And he's like, oh, it's okay. Don't worry about it. Like it's, con it's contained. And I was, I, I didn't like think to question at that time. I was like, oh, okay, he's a really nice guy. So I was like, okay. But um, now I'm, and then I paused it to finish like paying, or paying for our wedding, like the um, deposits and stuff. So now I'm starting, I'm looking to start back up. Um, and now I'm like, I don't know if I want to go back to this guy. I mean, I don't know. I guess maybe he didn't know, I think, to give just like a straight answer. I don't know. I don't even know if that's something you can answer or you do answer your clients. Um, so I think one is like, how does that payment normally work? And I know that there's like different pay models, but like what's the typical? And then two is um, I've been doing research and stuff like um, like Vanguard and, and investing that way and like UTSAX and the expense ratios are so low. It's like, like below zero point whatever zero four percent and I would like that that kind of sounds better than paying whatever I'm paying him that he's not telling me um so what's your opinion yeah so that's unfortunate I'm sorry that that advisor kind of dodged your question because I believe in being upfront and honest with clients you should be you know it builds trust but sorry to digress um, managers get paid based on, it depends on the kind of fund you're in. So for example, if you put your Roth in all mutual funds, just strict mutual funds, you will either pay um, an upfront sales charge fee and get charged um, little trail fees. The advisor will get paid on trail fees. That doesn't come directly out of your pocket. It will come from the fund company. But that, so share A versus share C. So for example, mutual fund classes share A is the most common when you're investing long-term, but you're charging upfront sales charge. It's usually 5.75. So for every um, $100 you put in, it's $5.75 upfront. But that's a one-time based on your contribution amount. That's in mutual funds. If you're in a managed portfolio, uh, for example, like a wrap account is a managed portfolio. That's something that Pamela does, my advisor, Ari's advisor. She does a lot more managed accounts and there are benefits with that. Um, they call it a wrap account because within her fees of managing the account, she charges a flat fee for commission based on what's called AUM or assets under management. So the more assets, that grow, the percentage of what she charges decreases, but it also includes, because it is um, a wrap account, because she does give advice on a lot of other things, not just on managing the account. She gives tax advice and helps with planning strategies on how to best, you know, budget, for example, too, as well as how to work with 
she's really good with the taxes. I always refer back to that because people don't realize how much taxes do affect you, whether you're getting credits or you want more deductions or you want to be able to pay less taxes now and or more taxes now, less later. So the planning fees are included in a RAP account. Wow, that's an interesting question. I love that uh, now we're, uh, we actually find out how Pamela is getting paid. But I don't know if you know taxes really well. So that's, that's an important part as if you have a business, I'm assuming, right? Absolutely. Or have a home, especially now with um, the result of the pandemic, they said in a few years, we'll be seeing a lot of uh, more higher taxable uh, rate, tax rate. Is that correct? So we sh should we be saving now? Because we're I've, the government? I'm not, I am not a tax expert. I'm so sorry. I do know some, I keep up with some tax law, but Pam is really the person to ask more so about the taxes. I do know that there were talks about doing things like increasing the corporate tax rate on corporations, which I think definitely should go through. I don't think that people who are in tax brackets, even the highest tax bracket, if you're making $300,000, $400,000 a year, you shouldn't be paying more taxes than a corporation. So they're thinking about increasing the corporate tax rate, as far as I remember. Things like that, um, like I said, I'm so sorry, I haven't kept up with every tax law that they're trying to come out with, but they've been doing a lot of different things this past year. From 2020, there was things like the CARES Act in which you could take up to $100,000 worth of your retirement, actually, penalty-free. And you could, yep, so up to $100,000 people were taking out if they were in distress financially. So that could have been used to help. And you had within three years to put it back and you wouldn't even be taxed on it. So usually with retirement accounts, especially if they're pre-tax, when you take a distribution, you are taxed on that because it's added to your income. But with the new COVID CARES Act and those kind of bills that were passed, there were a whole bunch of exceptions being made, you know? So people still are recontributing their money that if they did take out, up to $100,000 for retirement accounts. Oh, wow. Things are changing. Yeah, big time. I had a, a question. Um, I know you kind of touched on this lightly um, about like starting a Roth when you're, if you have a job, but <laughs> I'm just gonna say this bluntly, like if you don't have a lot of money, like in your opinion, what else do you suggest or like how else do you suggest investing? So there are small things, like I'm sure everybody's kind of heard of those little apps. Um, I would say like Stash and Acorn are two pretty popular ones. Right now, I honestly suggest a lot of people to stray away from Robinhood app. They have gotten into a lot of trouble recently with a lot of class action lawsuits. And they're being hit with those class action lawsuits because of not disclosing a lot of information because people who are invested in these kind of apps like Stash or Acorn, what it does is say you're paying um, your credit card or you're, um, you're debiting something, they'll take the difference between that and the nearest dollar and they'll invest it for you. So they're saying the small amounts, you know, it's a start. It's really good for people who don't have money to invest. It's a start of something. 
whether it be a savings or a retirement, you have something and it does grow, it earns interest. But with some other things, just read the fine print, maybe do some research at least about what you are getting into, what kind of account you're investing in, because things, like I said before, retirement is long-term. You don't want to touch it prior to 59 and a half. You can open up shorter-term individual accounts, but also do some research or um, contact an advisor because if you keep, for example, funds invested for a year or longer, you pay long-term capital gains versus short-term capital gains. And there is a big difference. So short-term capital gains are within your tax bracket of your normal income. Long-term capital gains is when you keep funds invested for a year or longer. And it's you can pay 0%. You can pay as low as 0% if you're within the next one up is 15%. And that's even still pretty low because you can earn up to, I think it's almost like half a million dollars and you'll still pay only like 15% on your long-term capital gains. So it's good to do a little bit of research, um, at least read up, you know. Thank you. Yeah, I think the, the little apps you're talking about sound a little less intimidating for me. So I think I'm gonna start those. <laughs> I have a question like along those lines too. So um, what would you say like the pros and cons would be with using, like going directly with companies like Vanguard or Fidelity and using their like uh, index funds or something versus going through a, a financial advisor or like a, a corporation? Yes, I'm so sorry. Thank you for touching back on that. I forgot to answer that the last time. Um, there is... There's been studies that have done, um, I can actually email that to you. There's a big benefit to having a financial advisor who is good though. So you want a financial advisor who you're gonna have a good relationship, who you can trust, who's gonna be honest with you. There has been much um, benefits because of things like they, they don't just teach you about the investing. So even if you were to just try and go in for investing, um, like, for example, my first advisor, I just wanted to open a Roth, but he taught me a plethora of other things regarding insurance on how to save money here, on how to start investing later for this. All those little kind of benefits kind of add up, and especially with things for different purposes. Usually people want to know, oh, wow, I didn't realize that about this, or oh, wow, my taxes can improve because of this. So all of those benefits do add up greatly, and I can send you guys that um that article because it's a pretty good read. It's not too long, but it does kind of show the benefits of having an advisor um, or doing it yourself. So it is good though, if you want to just dip your toe in, get a little bit wet, you could absolutely um, do your own little research because Vanguard is one of those that has very, very low expense ratios out there. They have some of the lowest and they have pretty good performing funds too. So they keep up with the big guys. I'm just going to like do shout out though to, to CFS um, because as soon as the pandemic hit, she called me and she's like, how are you and Robert doing? You know, did you lose your job? How's Robert business? And she just spent a full hour to listen to everything. And she checks in again. She, she constantly checks in on us, send us some things about CARES Act, and I felt like that's better than having an app, you know? 
and she's not selling anything like, Hey, do you want to buy this? You want to no, she's just like checking and improving, make sure that during this pandemic, we are not, you know, having financial issues. Um, but just for her to listen to me for a whole hour, uh, March, I think it was like late March when pandemic hits, everything closed, everyone's so anxious. Um, she, you know, it was so nice. It was just such a relief. So thank you, Pam. I just want to give her a shout out. Thank you for doing that. I did want to answer. So the one of the last questions I um, saw that was sent is, what is the fastest way to achieve financial freedom? That one I thought was, it was very good, but it is very broad. So along the lines of being very broad, it's pretty subjective. So different people feel that financial freedom means something different to them. So for example, one person might say, if I save up a million dollars, I will be financially free, I will be set. Another person might say, as long as I am completely debt free, I am golden, you know? So financial freedom is pretty subjective, but just within the rules, like I've been stating, try to, you know, not spend more than you make, live within your means and, you know, start early, start saving, build your emergency fund, all the little things, build your brick house kind of thing. You got to start from the foundation, from the ground up. So start small and then it'll eventually grow. Well, thank you for joining us, Carrie. We certainly learned a lot from you and we hope our viewers got something out of this conversation too. Thank you and see you in our next podcast.